0: Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1955 film Patir Panchali. Uh, so let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? Doing great, Sam. Uh, Barrett, this one was an absolute winner of a film. Um, I I loved this. Um, to start with, and we talked about this a little bit. I think at the end of the last episode. But in case folks didn't didn't hear that. Um, what is your history with this film with uh, we we you said we have the pronunciation uh, of the director's name is Sadiggit Ra. Correct. That's okay. This week. Uh, so what is your history with him? What is your history with this film? What is your history with Indian cinema? You can kind of go in whatever direction you want to go with that.
1: Well, my, my history with this film is it's one of those films that I've known by reputation for, I don't know, 40 years. You know, I've seen posters. I've seen references to it. The Apu trilogy is legendary, uh, and yet I had never watched it. So last week was my first time watching the film. Um, and it it kind of represents a, a a different branch of Indian cinema than most of us are familiar with. Uh, most of us know know a little bit about the whole Bollywood phenomenon, you know, 10, 12 years ago I watched Bride and Prejudice, and there's also some Bollywood adaptations of Shakespeare that I've watched, but this is a very different kind of film, uh, approach to film, and uh, Ra was inspired by um, Italian neorealism. Uh, and also, as you recall, I picked this film because it's an inspiration for Kelly Reichert's First Cow. In fact, Kelly Reichert has said that every film she, she, uh, she makes in some way has been inspired by what Ra has done. So he's kind of, uh, he's one of those filmmakers who, he makes these, the film that is very interested in ordinary life and even life, uh, as in Reichert's films, kind of people at the margin, you know, this is set and well, some people say it's set in the 1910s. Some people say the 1920s. But it's set earlier in the 20th century, and it's it's a portrayal of village life.
0: So uh, I, as well, this was my first time seeing this. So maybe let's start with first impressions. I mean, if because I think this might be the f- only the second movie we've watched on this that you hadn't seen previously. So um, something you knew by reputation, but now actually sitting and watching it, what were what were first impressions you had?
1: um i i I think i was struck um well of course i i I was watching the film because i was interested initially about what is the connection to first cow so obviously the fruit stealing uh element but i guess my my other impression was um the kind of almost documentary nature of it Um, uh and maybe go back to think about uh, passion of joan of arc and the way that um Dreyer was trying to make a film that he thought would be like a documentary. And that, of course, is that style of of neorealism. And I guess the other impression I had was, oh, I see. This is going to be one of those films that's going to be kind of quiet, going to be kind of rambling a little bit, and yet it's going to take me really close to these, to these characters. So I spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out um, what's the main conflict in the film? You know, what is the film kind of structured around?
0: Yeah, I... Uh you just touched on so many things that I want to talk about. This is the longest list of questions and notes that I have um, coming out of this movie. So you, I, I want to ask you because, because you, you've used a term a few times that came up whenever I would read about this. So I think I want to talk about influences first. Um, so I want to, I, I want to talk about Italian neorealism. What, what, what that means when you say that. And then another film, a French filmmaker whose name comes up um, in, in lots of these, because um uh ra had direct contact with both his films and him as a person is uh jean renoir mm-hmm. um so can you tell me a little bit about about those things because one of the the stories that i loved uh reading about ra was that he um i mean he was working in advertising and was like interested in film but like was interested in film like studying film, not necessarily making film. And then he gets sent to London for, I think two or three months by the company he works for. And he watches like a hundred movies in that time. And uh, you know, one of them that he watches is a movie called uh, bicycle thieves. And he says he came out of that determined to become a filmmaker. So clearly like Mm -hmm. that trip was deeply influential to him. Um, So I'm, I'm sort of curious about, about Renoir. I'm curious about uh, Italian neorealism, uh, as a lens to thinking about this movie
1: yeah uh, yeah those those are those are both interesting and kind of very different strands. Um, I kind of start with Renoir just because um Renoir is a kind of a master of French cinema, especially in the nineteen thirties um, known probably his masterpiece is considered Rules of the game, which was nineteen thirty seven or so that's a film i've actually taught. Uh, and and then and then Renoir came to, to Hollywood in the 40s and wasn't particularly successful uh, when, and, and in, in a sense it became difficult for him to actually make films so the film that Ra worked on is not really a very typical Renoir film it's called the River uh, from 1951 and it actually was the first film that Renoir made in uh, in, in color um so that's one, that's kind of one one strand. Um, Renoir would not really be, really be considered a neorealist, the influence on Ra there is just that he was a filmmaker in India, came to India to make a film, and Renoir got, uh, and Ra got connected with him. The Italian neorealism uh, is a post-World War II phenomenon. Uh, uh, Roberto Rossellini, who is Isabella Rossellini's father, uh, was one of the key uh, filmmakers in that movement. Open City uh, is probably his most um, uh, well-known film, and then as you've alluded to, Vittoria De Sicca's Bicycle Thieves. Um, so Italian neorealism is a, um, it, it's, as I said with Patropanchali, it's a kind of um, almost documentary style of filmmaking, and um, it's intended to depict, uh, to a certain degree, uh, ordinary life, uh, and it tends to focus on um, ordinary people, and it tends to focus on what would seem to be uh, by most standards, kind of mundane events, but they are significant events in the life of the people that the filmmaker is, is chronicling. So Bicycle Thieves uh, is about, as the title suggests, is about a man who relies on his livelihood, relies on his bicycle for his, for his livelihood, and the bicycle gets stolen. And that's the plot. That's the plot. And he's trying to get the bicycle back. Uh, so it's it's very small, but very significant aspects of, of ordinary life. So it's a, if you can think about the kinds of things that are going on in Hollywood in the 1930s and 40s, uh, MGM musicals, uh, big historical sweeping epic uh, films or films noir, uh, neorealism is a very different kind of focus uh, for films to take.
0: And so I'm excited. I've never seen Bicycle Thieves but it's it's made it onto my list of things to want to watch only because as I've said before I'm always interested in movies that are or pieces of art that make me want to create art. So when I read that Ra saw this movie and was like I was determined to become a filmmaker it's like well, I want to see the movie that made this guy want to make movies like that that's the kind of stuff that that uh, that really excites me. Um one of the things that I found interesting in the the story of this movie as well i mean there's this is a a story that has uh, or this is a movie that has a lot of struggle in terms of funding the movie and things like this mm-hmm. um, and we can maybe come back to this part but but raw is a first-time director the dp is a first-time camera operator i mean i don't think that he'd used a movie camera really before he was oh. a photographer that ron knew it's so, like that's that's fascinating to me but one of the the stories about how this got funded or, you know, part of the hustle to get this funded was working with things like uh, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Um, mm-hmm. And that a lot of people thought as he was making this, and even after it came out for a long time, that it was a documentary. Even people <laughs> who had seen it was like, oh, this is a documentary. And it was interesting reading because, you know, that's a, uh, it is both a tribute to like the the authenticity maybe of the storytelling here um, but it's interesting to also read other other takes on that saying like uh, it's also an insult to the movie to be like well there's no way this guy could could create a uh, a scripted thing that that has this kind of authenticity especially somebody who didn't know anything about uh, you know, or had never made a film before I mean he knew about film but didn't had never made a film before so it's sort of this interesting tension between like you know even though it clearly has source material it's based on a novel um so, so it's interesting both that like that's both a celebration of its authenticity but also potentially sort of a uh, a cultural insult to say like well how can this guy over in over in in india make this movie that's this authentic clearly he's just filming what's in front of him
1: <laughs> and, and of course some of the some of the actors are non-professionals um uh, a number of the village people were non-professionals Apu. Uh, had never acted before and, and never acted again. Um, some of the principal of, of uh, parts were, were professional actors, including the very old auntie whom um, Ra discovered in the you know, red light district of, of uh, Calcutta, I think, I think it was. Um, and as far as I know, uh, at least the one thing I read about about this, Sam said that there was actually not a script. Uh, so I'm not quite sure where the lines came from if he developed the script afterwards, but what I read initially was he just started out with some ideas and some uh, storyboards, but I didn't actually have a, have a script. Uh, but he was very deliberate about how he organized the material. The, the novel itself on which the story is based, which the film is based is actually it was a serial, a novel published serially. and uh, he actually the film only deals with the first half of the novel. So the novel itself is kind of long and rambling. Um, it's kind of a building's roman that is a novel of education. And the one of the things that Rod did to structure the film, uh, and, and the film does have a very subtle structure. Uh, so one element of the, the way which he structured the film is um, there's two deaths in the film. Uh, and and that's, that's one structure that kind of divides the film in half, the death of the aunt uh, and then the death of the of the young girl is a way of creating some kind of dramatic tension in the film because both of those characters are in direct conflict with the mother, uh, and so those conflicts, in a sense, kind of get resolved with those deaths.
0: And it's it's interesting. I mean, you keep using the word rambling, um, and this is I, I found a quote from Ra where he talked about um, why the film why the film rambles a little bit too because there is this sense of like. I was watching it because I went in completely blind, and I was watching it, kind of trying to figure out like what's what's this going to be about? What's happening here? Um, and one of the things that that Ross said was that the the script had to retain some of the rambling quality of the novel because that is that in itself contained a clue to the feel of authenticity that life in poor in a poor Bengali village does ramble. So it's like so he said like like he didn't want to make a tight. It didn't need to, it. It couldn't be a tight. Narrative, a tight story, because you had to have this feeling of like this is life,
1: right? But 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 I think underneath it, Sam, I think one of the genius, part of the genius of the film is what continues to drive it. I think is this um, is the tension that the family has because of their poverty uh, and because it's always kind of a fight for um, uh, kind of a a fight for for survival, Uh, and that's one of the things that Ra also talked about. He sees the. He does see the the life in the village as uh, as built around uh, a number of contrasts, um, and he says these contrasts are both pictorial and emotional. So there are the better off people in, in the village; you might call them rich versus poor. There's the laughter versus the tears. There's the beauty of the countryside versus kind of the grimness of life. So he's got those kind of contrasts driving, uh, which do structure life. But at the same time, it is just sort of each day uh as as, as it comes as it comes along.
0: Yeah, I think another one of those those tension things is between this is probably not the right words to use, but like between status and means mm-hmm. or status and wealth, because clearly the family has fallen on hard times, but they come from a, a line. I mean, they keep talking about you know maintaining the ancestral home and um and the even the the father has these like aspirations about like I mean he's somebody who values uh, whose values are different than maybe material values but at the same time he's valuing material things as well in terms of like we're gonna get money we're gonna fix the house up we're gonna do this but he wants to do it through like writing poetry and plays and like that and that that. You know that this is the thing that, that that he sort of sees value in, and they talk about this in terms of educating Apu is like the this thing that has a, a really significant value, and it's not necessarily framed in terms of uh, a means uh, a means to material wealth, but it's also not not that it's it's sort of both of those things.
1: Yeah, I, I, yeah and, and I think what's really interesting about the uh, about this being the ancestral home, and, and that's the other thing I'll say about about the the structure of the film. Uh, Sam, is that there is no, um, there's no kind of traditional exposition. In other words, you have to learn things as you go along. So you have to kind of figure out, oh, I see. So that more affluent family is actually related. Um, and yet there's tension between them when they give them, when they give the poor family money because they're not able to pay it back. And this, you know, so, so then you realize at the end, when he's made the decision that they're going to move and the village elders come, right. And they say, well, you should have talked to us about this because you know the, your, this is your roots. This is where your family family belongs. And so I just love the way it kind of um, it just kind of keeps unfolding. Uh, and 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 you and you learn oh they used to have the orchard you know but the orchard is, isn't theirs anymore. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the the daughter feels like it's okay to take the fruit because in a sense it's kind of their their fruit. And as the mother says at one point the fruit doesn't have anybody's name on it. Um, so I just, I, 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 I love the way it just kind of, um, it takes you into the village life the way you would get into the village life. If you moved there, you know, you would have to suddenly, uh, gradually uncover or discover these relationships and these histories.
0: Yeah. And, and I love in the same way we, we learned that the orchard has been sold off, right. By, by this family. Um, and then we see later in the film, the mother start to uncover like when she starts to sell other items to get rice and she's taking out these beautiful, I presume Mm -hmm. silver plate bowl thing, you know? And, and it's so, so it's like you realize this is not the first time they've done this. This is not the first time that they've sort of taken part of their past, part of their, uh, um, legacy and like had to sell that to, you know, and, and those are really powerful. And, and again, like these are items. It's not like these items have you seen them before, but she realize this is that she's digging a little bit deeper. And there's even a point later on where she says something about, well, we have a few more. I can't remember what she says, but we have a, something about we have a few other things to sell as well that there's like there's there's this little bit that they're still holding on to. And I really love that. Another thing I loved about the structure of this movie and this this uh, this goes to the maybe the rambling nature as well is. Because I didn't know what this was about. Now I did know that this was part of a trilogy called the Apu trilogy, so I presumed there was going to be a character named Apu at some point. But the, when the movie starts, he's not alive yet, and it takes a while until he's born. So when it first started, I thought, "Oh, this is a story about the little girl because she seems like the main character when it starts." And then I start thinking, "Oh, maybe this is a character about. Maybe this is a movie about the mother." Because the mother is this central point. And then it's like, well, then the auntie is so significant. It's like, maybe it's about her. And then at the same time, I keep thinking, well, this is, a, it's eventually about Apu. And what's interesting, and my daughter and I were talking about this, is like, it almost doesn't seem to be about him because he he's at most like an observer of the things going on. So it's not that we're necessarily seeing things through his eyes, but maybe we kind of are. Like, we, he's, as a child, is discovering things about the world he lives in. And as viewers, we're discovering these things too, and we see. So I loved watching this, thinking I don't, I, I don't know whose story this is, and that, then and I say that in like the best possible way because it 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 unfolded, and then at the very end, when they're in the the cart moving away, and you see Apu's face, and I'm like, oh, now it's his story, like like now this story has become his story, and I realize that the subsequent films are gonna are gonna track him, but I loved that structuring.
1: Well that that, that I'm glad you said that, Sam, because that that's actually what I should have said to you in your opening question is that that my initial thought was that very thing during the first fifteen, twenty minutes. I said, This is the Apu trilogy. Where where's Apu? <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. exactly. Um
0: I I I have to say, uh well no, I'll save that for later. Um one of my favorite scenes in the in the movie, which in which there's a lot of them is uh, when the, the first time that you see the train, mm. but even before that, because you're in like very specific places in the, um you know, you're in their home, you're in the, the home of the friends. And then all of a sudden you're in this scene and it's just the two kids. And I was watching it and I was like, are those power lines mm-hmm. behind them? <laughs> and it's, it's funny because you, cause like you haven't seen, um kind of the uh the the march of like and i'm using this word in quotes the march of progress and technology and these types of things but all of a sudden you see these two kids out in this field and it's like i think those are power lines and then you see the train come by and and it like it to me it that was the scene that kind of opened up this world that they had talked a little bit about and you knew that the father had gone out to other parts of the world it also rooted it in a time then i was like okay well it has to be because I didn't even I didn't even have a sense of when it was set exactly, but but when I saw that I was like, oh, there there really is a bigger world, and then the train is such a literal um, uh, image of this larger world, this thing that could take you to the other parts of the larger world. I loved I loved the way that see, I love the way that the the grain or whatever the whatever the plants hive sort of. You know, I would say wheat, but I don't know if it's weed or what it is. But like, I love the way that that looked like an ocean that they were in. It was that was just a beautiful shot. And it,
1: actually, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because it makes me think about one one of the stories of the filming is that when Raw first first started to film, he filmed. I think it was in a field like that, uh, and they did part of a scene, and then they came back a week later to shoot it again. And in the meantime, the cattle had come and and. <laughs> and grazed everything so they couldn't actually reshoot the scene. But it's interesting that, um, you know, they live in this place of natural beauty and yet it's the appearance of the train that has a kind of um, fantastic uh, effect on the children. Um, And it also reminds me too that, you know, as I said earlier, the film is structured by really the interplay of different relationships. And I do love the relationship between Apu and his sister. Uh, and you know, there's sometimes there's delight the with the two of them. Sometimes there's tension, but there's there's always this kind of um, uh, magical uh, interplay between them. And so, to me, one of the really striking scenes is at the end when he discovers uh, the necklace uh, that she has, in fact, stolen, which we have suspected. Um, and then the way he tosses it into the pond. And I just love how the how the algae or whatever comes and closes back over it after after it goes down, and it just says everything about his relationship to her. Uh, and that moment with the train is like you know she's leading him to this world of almost enchantment.
0: Yeah, I I, was, I had the same thing in my notes that the looking at the, the the and it's the beautiful black and white image of of like this thing which could be um maybe a memory of shame kind of thing. And it just gets sort of swallowed up by this and it, and it goes away and that, and that he, and that that was the thing that he thought to do. I, I, I know I, I, yeah, I, I really, I love that. And, and I will say that relationship seemed uh, so very, very real uh, right. you know, thinking about um, thinking about sibling relationships, you know, that, that it was, it was all of those things. Um, there's also so many great like little pictures of, childhood in this um, one of the thing. one of the things that um, I don't know if this was raw that said this but I was reading about sort of themes in the film and I think it's I think it's a quote from raw that that poverty does not nullify life mm-hmm. that although it's this it's this movie that r- really is depicting uh, a family that has fallen pretty deep in in hard times pretty deep into poverty there's there, there are these tensions about like what are they going to eat what are, where is food going to come from but at the same time there's all these depictions of of ch- childhood that seem kind of universal too like when the the sweets man would come um i loved it and, and there's a, there's a couple scenes where where this happens when the it's when the sweets man come and i think there's another point too oh it's when the guy comes with the pictures in the oh, yeah, box yeah. right and um, there's a very specific thing that they do, which reminded me of my own childhood, which is first uh, Durga would say to Apu would tell him to go ask for money. Yes. Cause it's like, okay, we got to make sure the right kid asks and notice they never went to the mother. It was always like, go to, go to dad. Cause if someone's going to give you money and he may not, but if someone's going to give you money, that's the parent that's going to be. And it was like, it's like that just brought back a wave of like, Oh, I remember as a kid when my brother and I would be like, Oh, we, we want to ask for something it's like okay let's make sure we ask the right parent in the right way the right kid does it and maybe we got a shot and i just i like i loved that as uh, as a piece that sort of came up uh came up time and again
1: i got a couple scenes like that too that i that i love sam as as well one is i I love the scene you know despite the poverty despite the lack of food the scene when the mother is trying to get Apu to eat breakfast and he's just, he just keeps running around and uh, finally she figures out. She figures, well, he doesn't want to eat it because the rice doesn't have anything sweet in it. And he runs off and she says, how will he survive? Was he even going to survive? And it's like, that's, that's such a six year old thing. It's like, I'm just too busy running around, mom. I can't eat right now. The other scene I love is, um, because absolutely nothing is happening except life. Uh, Apu and the, and the father are sitting side by side Father is writing his poetry or his drama, and he's telling Apu uh, what to write on his slate. And the mother is braiding uh, Durga's hair, and Auntie is trying to thread a needle. And that's all that's happening. And it's just it's just this domestic moment. And uh, you know, it gets back to that re- you know the, the the realism of life. This is just the family sitting around, just living.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in those moments, you also see the, and there's, there's, there's a few moments like that. You also see kind of the, the cultural expectations for each of the children. I mean, it's offhandedly mentioned like, who's going to get an education and we're going to find a good husband for you. And we see Durga take on motherly roles with, uh, with Apu, like she's, she's doing his hair, getting him ready for school um you know and it's 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 that's why i think it's so interesting that he's born in the movie because we get a a little picture of this family where durga is the child of the family is the only child of the family and then you get apu and you see um i mean not that not that durga would have been the the like uh she would not she necessarily would have received an education or received those things but there is just this 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 sense of like she is uh, moved to a little bit different place in the family with him with, with Apu there. And Apu, there's certain things he's allowed to do or, um, mm-hmm. you know, given access to and certain expectations on her. And I thought that was, um, I that was really interesting. Other childhood things, like I loved when they w- went to the, um, the, the neighbor's house. I don't know, you know, the, the, the folks who had, the, who own the orchard. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you have both the, parent interactions but then you also have the children's interactions um and the children's interactions are very different you know and because and, and that also felt i guess i keep using the word real and authentic which i i'm guessing is what raw is going for but it just struck me and i can see why people thought this was a documentary like it just it yeah. because that stuff just felt like they just turned the cameras on and stuff happens
1: but, you know, there's also another there's another interaction among the children is when they are gathering for their picnic before the, the friend or the cousin, I'm really not clear on the relationship, is, is gonna get married, right? And I, I realized afterwards that this is actually a, a very literary moment of foreshadowing, which I didn't take it as foreshadowing because the film works at a realistic level. But when Durga says something like, well, that's not what I'm gonna do, I'm not gonna get married, um, and, you realize that, I mean, she didn't intend it this way, but it actually is in a sense Ra's foreshadowing of her death. Uh-huh. Um, and and yet because it happens within this kind of realistic scene, you think of it in terms of, I've got other ambitions. That's not the I'm, I'm not gonna play this traditional woman's role. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be different from the rest of from the rest of you. So it's it's just amazing to me how that works at kind of both those those levels.
0: Yeah. I, I also loved the scene when they're and it's a pretty extended scene when the acting troupe comes. Yes. And and uh, it I mean, it reminds me of the you know we've we've talked about movies where you see people watching movies, and it's like this is that same sort of thing. You see this, you know this this piece of drama you know playing out, and then you see Apu later like acting it out, and he makes the crown for himself and takes the stuff from Durga's the foil from Durga's toy box, and but I but I just I just loved like. All of a sudden, it's like, we got to go to this event with them, too. And I, I really love that.
1: Well, it, it's interesting. That causes the first real conflict between him and Durga, right? You know, the, it, it, the, the notion that, I mean, he's, he's, he's behaving like a little boy, but he's also behaving like a man uh, in that he just thinks that her stuff is his to, to appropriate. Just like in the drama, you know, it's the men who are kind of driving the drama and the woman who is trying to stop the action from, from happening. So I think it's really, and of course, that it is a crown that he puts on himself, right? So I think it's it's again, it's it's realistic, and yet it's got this kind of you could almost call it there's a social commentary going on uh beneath the surface.
0: Um, I want to think about uh maybe the two characters who die in this movie, because we haven't really talked about the the auntie much, and she is uh definitely somebody who steals scenes in the first half of this movie. Um just sort of in a, it's one of those like amazing faces and we've talked about how like in in black and white films sometimes the the portrait nature of it is even heightened, you know even more so but um I loved that character and I love that character of of like somebody from a different generation, somebody from a different uh kind of life philosophy you know that that she wasn't there she wasn't like this older person there to just sort of as we often see in movies, like just there to dispense wisdom and, and there to, to, to sacrifice necessarily, you know, like I found, I, I loved that character. Uh, what were your thoughts on her?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting because it just made me, as you're saying this, Sam, it just made me wonder whether, and thinking back to first cow, wh- if wh- whether that character inspired um, Kelly Riker to put the Renee Abrajanos character into first cow with the Raven, a a kind of homage now she of course has a much more significant role in, in, in this film. Um, I have to say one of the things I love about, about, about her in this film is um, Ra talked about the fact that in the course of making this film, which took several years as you already alluded to because of funding, he said there were three miracles that saved the film. Um, one, Apu's voice did not break. Two, Durga did not grow up. And three, Indir Takrun did not die. And so, I, I, I mean, when, when I saw her, I thought, she raised for me the, the, that very question of like, is this an actress or is this simply like a really old woman that he found? Um, and what I really think, you know, she's a real, she really captures that, that tension that exists in so many families. And that is that, boy, I really can't stand it when you do this. And I really resent you. Uh, and, I, and I wish you'd get out of my life. And, and I love you. And, and, and I, and I, and I don't want to, and I don't want to lose you. And not in a, not in a sappy sentimental way, but in a really realistic way. So she's, you know, she drives the mother to distraction, yet at the same time, uh, and, and even, you know, drives her literally out of, out of the house for a while. Um, but it's, but there's always, there's always this reconciliation. Um, and so I think she's, she also of course has this close relationship with Durga. Uh, And I think that may be part of why the mother responds as as she does, because she doesn't, the mother doesn't feel she has the influence on Durga that she should have. uh, And that auntie is the bad influence because Durga is stealing the fruit for her. So I think that, that helps, you know, helps create that tension between them.
0: Yeah. And then we get to Durga's death and that one floored me because I actually didn't, I didn't think that was going to happen because I was still, I was still holding out that like, maybe this is Durga's story. Like maybe, maybe the fact that this is called the Apu trilogy is something else, but like maybe there it's really both of their stories. And I I mean, it is to a certain degree. This film is Um, the scene with her in the monsoon. um, uh, That felt like something where I was like, Oh, I want to hear Barrett talk about this. Like, 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 she sort of is embracing this thing that's happening I mean, apu gets out of the rain and she's sort of standing there um taking it in embracing it and that you know maybe helps lead to her to her demise as well
1: yeah it does and you know and i uh, i have to say that just based on kind of the grammar of film uh there's maybe a little bit of foreshadowing there as well because any character dancing jo- so joyously like that in the rain um <laughs> singing in the rain um you know there may be bad things in store i know that, that, that yeah ra i think that's a purely a uh, formalist moment in the film um ra shot that just because he loved the he just loved the joy uh and the abandonment of her just giving herself up to to the rain uh so that's that's not there really for any other reason other than to say that's that's what kids sometimes do. They dance in the rain and they just love getting, getting wet. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. The one character we haven't talked a lot about uh, yet is the father who's both, he was very in and out of this movie and, you know, but is also one of the characters that made me think about things like Ugetsu, maybe think a little bit about things like first cow, because he's, um, I mean, it's, it, you know, Ugetsu is about this, this father who, in part, who like, right, who leaves his family behind. And we kind of, track with the father's story a lot more. You know, in this story where the father goes away and we never see him, other than through letters, we never see what he's doing. We're just getting sort of word back on that. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the father?
1: Well, you know, one of the things I was going to say about, about him and about the film is, although it, it, it lacks the structural coincidence of a, of a Dickensian plot, in some ways it has that Dickensian quality. Uh, and the father to me, he's a he's a kind of a Mr. Macumber figure from uh, from David Copperfield. Uh, you know, Mr. Macumber is always saying uh, something will always turn up, um, and so he's kind of this eternal optimist. He's got his his head's kind of his head is kind of in the cloud, um, but he's got a philosophy of life as well. You know, whatever whatever God ordains is for the best, um, which then of course is a philosophy that's tested obviously by the death of Durga. Uh, and also there's this he's all is a, there's this tension between him uh, and his wife because there's a, there's a there's a scene where she complains about you know she lives in this house she says it's like living in a jungle uh, there's no neighbors and she said I had lots of dreams too so I think the father is is interesting because he is kind of this eternal optimist and whereas the mother she's got her feet on the ground and so that that again creates another kind of tension that drives drives it forward. <laughs>
0: Uh, and I also thought about like when he comes home at the end with the with like, you know, he has mo- some money and he has gifts and things, and it reminds me of Genjiro coming, like thinking about I'm going to go out and I'm going to provide in this particular kind of way, uh, and and you know, and that scene makes me think about that that same thing of like how much are are they hearing each other, you know, in terms of that stuff.
1: Well, actually, in, that, in, in this case, Sam, I think they are on the same page. I th- I think in Ugetsu we had a tension between materialism and, uh, and just kind of this little idea, I just want to have time with you. Um, I, I think her problem is, to be frank, I think he doesn't provide, I mean, th- there is a little bit of you don't pay attention to me. That's, that's true. Mm-hmm. But I, think there, I think the overriding sense is, but the other problem is you're not really providing. Uh, you're not right. dealing with, you're not dealing with the reality that we have three months of debts we, have, we haven't paid back.
0: Right, so, and he has employers who aren't paying him, and you know, and, and and he's not pushing that. And yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so the the title of this, uh, it's and it's also the title of the book. Uh, translates, I think, to the song of the little road. Do you have thoughts on yeah. that as a title?
1: Yeah, that's uh, there's like four different titles, but song of the little road or song of the open road. Those, yeah, those those are the one one translation is lament of the path, but most people go with song. Um, And of course, one of the things that's prominent in this film is song is is Ravi Ravi Shankar, who is kind of early in his career, uh, did the uh, the soundtrack. And I wanna say that to me, one of the most amazing uses of song in this film is um, when the mother is keening after Durga's death. And rather than hearing her voice, you hear the sitar. uh, And it's the sitar that expresses her emotion. To me, that's a really powerful moment.
0: So, do you have other things you want to talk about with this movie
1: well i just want to mention you 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 alluded earlier to the fact that um the funding was kind of catch-as-catch-can and he was uh, rob was fortunate enough to get the attention of the museum of modern art um but as you as you know one one of the one of the reasons that happened is a connection to one of our earlier films right um, John Huston was in India, this is in the 50s, and we know that The Man Who Would Be King wasn't made for twenty-five more, 20 more years, but Huston uh, was in India scouting locations for Man Who Would Be King, and he came across some of Ra's film, and he recognized the work of a great filmmaker. And it was because Huston put that word in with, uh, with MoMA uh, that Ra was able to, to, to get the that last of the, of the funding that, uh, that he needed. And I would just say, in, in general, that um, many filmmakers, from Scorsese on down uh, to Kerry, uh, Kelly Reichardt, have been really influenced um, by this uh, by this film. Um, I think it's um, uh, Scorsese who has a has a comment about the film, saying something like, um, "In his films, the line between poetry and cinema dissolves," hmm. um, which is a really nice kind of uh, homage
0: i also loved this the and you you talked a little bit about this the intentionality of 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 this film in in sort of post colonial india you know as an attempt to say can we create another kind of indian cuz there like you said there was a there was an indian um uh, film industry that was oh. doing one thing and this was this this uh very distinct attempt to say can we show another side of India, another, can we, can we, or not even another, show another side, but like create another type of Indian cinema. And this was a very intentional thing to not be those other things.
1: Yeah. And I think the fact that it was specifically Bengali, I don't know quite enough about Indian cultural tensions, but I think the fact that it was, uh, that it was Bengali was also a way of highlighting an aspect of, of, of India that wasn't really kind of given its, uh, given its full due.
0: Well, I have one last thing that that I want to say. Um, I didn't mention my daughter's response to this movie. She did watch it with me. Uh, we had a, we had a couple of really good conversations with it, and the big takeaway is she she keeps asking me when are we going to watch the next one. So like she's <laughs> she's all in on this trilogy. So I think this weekend, uh, this this weekend we'll be watching the second film. And because of that, something you've been talking about uh, throughout this project, this is this is the final straw. I'm just going to get the Criterion Channel because like. All, there's so much stuff on there. i keep looking at it and it's like i just need to get this and and i realize, well the rest of this trilogy is on there and i could i could get that rent them on amazon but it's like i might as well just get the criterion channel we'll watch those and we'll watch hundreds of other things so um this this was the uh this was the thing that tipped it over the over the edge
1: good 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 i gotta say one more thing about this film and that is about the fact that raw uh it, it kind of gets back to the neorealism idea and that is that Ra, as a first-time film director, is very aware that his actors are actually human beings. And and he talks about how bad he felt about having to to have too many takes because they would be standing around in the heat. And so it's interesting because so many other filmmakers are like the, well, you know, uh, Hitchcock famously said that actors are cattle uh you know whereas ra really maintains that humanistic interest in his actors as as people not just as things to be manipulated that seems very humanistic and in the spirit of patra panchali that's great
0: because i like you don't he- i don't hear about that stuff i hear about uh kubrick and fincher you know doing hundreds of takes even uh Mizuguchi did uh some of those scenes were were i think up to a hundred takes on certain things. So it's actually interesting to think about somebody who has a, a very different perspective on that. I like that.
1: Well, it, 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 it also brings up one of my pet peeves. There's, there's one, one of the uh, commercials on TV says, um, real people, not actors. Um, uh, and I think, well, actors are real people. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> uh, so what do you have for us for next week?
1: Well, Sam, this is inevitable because, um, we, uh, as you talked to about the beginning there's there's a significant influence on this film and that is bicycle thieves so i don't see how we cannot watch bicycle thieves and since you're going to have the criterion channel you can watch it now
0: well, this is the first time I could predict a movie you were going to pick. I, as I was reading about this, I thought, well, there's a there's a couple movies here, and then when I got to the Bicycle Thieves thing, I thought, I'm pretty sure that's what we're going to watch. I can't wait. I almost watched it this week, but uh, <laughs> but I didn't get a chance to, so I'm excited. Uh, this will be this will be fantastic. Well, Barrett, thank you so much. I say this every week. I say thank you for recommending this film, but I on- honestly feel like, uh, especially in the last maybe five to ten episodes of this, like, I feel like a world has opened up to me. Um, Stuff that I, I hadn't heard of stuff. I wouldn't have known to watch. And like, I was really, really moved by this movie. And, um, and especially the other thing I've learned from this project is um, how much I love reading about things after I watch them. Like Mm. I love, I loved watching this blind. I, I read a lot about this movie and I loved, Reading about Ra, I loved reading about the production of this movie. I loved reading people's reflections on this movie. Um, So I feel like I'm learning to watch in a little bit different way. I'm learning to process in a little bit different way. And I hope people listening are also uh, maybe learning a little bit about this too. Like, like this is a movie that that I would have never, I just would have never paid attention to. It would have been something on a list that's like, yep, that's probably not for me. Um, And I'm gonna watch the. I'm gonna watch the other two movies in this trilogy i saw all the other things that they're it's just like like i just feel like this world's opening up and i can't thank you i can't thank you enough for that
1: well uh right back at you sam it's a highlight of my week uh to have an excuse uh to watch a great movie and have an excuse to do some of the reading you're talking about it uh it keeps a really important part of my brain alive so
0: thanks (laughs) that's fantastic well we will be back next week to talk about bicycle thieves in the video store